You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible is Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos, and you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature podcast. This week, Father Paul highlights Hebrew terminology in Moses' Song of Victory that underscores the centrality of shepherdism in Scripture. I am happy to introduce Father Paul in the Bible as Literature podcast, Tarazi Tuesdays. Okay, we are at chapter 15, which is a very important chapter. It's usually entitled Moses' Song of Victory, you know, when they crossed the Red Sea. And in the first verse, again, a reminder to my listeners that I'm going to concentrate on words. I mean, the story, they have it, you know. And the words, obviously, in the original to give the actual meaning and not what people perceive when they are dealing with translations. We had a session two days ago with a small group where I discussed certain words like that. Let me begin with the end of verse 1 of chapter 15, and I'm following as usual the RSV. It says, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. And it's nice, and then you go to Washington, D.C., and you look at the buildings there, and you imagine that you are in ancient Rome, and so on. But that's not what the text is saying. Number one, something that happens very often in Semitic languages, where you have a verb with its complement, which is from the same root, it's very common. I mean, I know it from Arabic. You know. So you have here at the end, gu'u ga'a, which means he did something, that something is already included in the verb, which is powerful to the ear. I can't go into explaining this unless you know Arabic, then you can figure it out. So, in English, you should have used the same uh, root, but it's impossible. It doesn't make too much sense. But the important thing here for me is that this is the root from which we have gout that is used in Psalm 93 and in Isaiah about the power, the majesty, the glory of God. So this is what you are hearing. Now, is this important? Yes, it is, because in verse 7, you have in the greatness of thy majesty. Notice, earlier you had triumphed gloriously. Here you have greatness of thy majesty. But this majesty in Hebrew is go'on, which is precisely that word that you hear in Isaiah. But again, 
for your ear, notice that G'on and Ga'a are from the same root. Usually this additional N at the end, you should ask Richard Benton. He'll explain it better than I can to you. It's when you go to the name Haran. That would be the mountaineer from Har and the noon it nominalizes. So these connections are totally lost in translations. And as you're going to hear me say again, you are not hearing scripture. You are hearing your own writ that was produced by your scholars. And that becomes very dangerous. And here again, we have to learn, if not from all the Muslims, but at least from the Imams, that the Quran is the Quran. It is written in the Quranic language, period. Unless you hear it in that language, you're not getting the message, and thus you cannot be an Imam, a preacher, whose business is to convey the message of Scripture not to give one's comments as you have in all the podcasts. That's why you have 150 different podcasts. And then the people choose the people they like more. Notice how the word like comes into the foreground. I like these two podcasts. And that's how the people react, unfortunately. And I need to say it time and again because I'm nearing my age of 80 and I may disappear at any time and I want everybody to remember me as the one who kept repeating. Now, they are going to be nasty and add repeating himself. No, I'm not repeating myself. I'm repeating the matter for some of you to make the effort and start taking seriously this business and learn Hebrew so that no one can fool you. So we have the same root of God. My extra comment on that, and I know you heard it, but it's good to rehear it again, that this is a tricky word as the word love in Hebrew. Love may have the same meaning, but it doesn't have the same function if as I said time and again, the subject is the elder or the younger. If the subject is the elder, then the elder is caring for the younger. And that's what the elder's love is. But if the subject is the younger, then the younger has to obey the elder and do his will. That's why in the commandments before the word love, You have the word, the fear of the Lord, and the Orthodox should not be amazed because they hear this at every liturgy. With the fear of God and faith and love. Actually, in this matter, I'm convinced that faith means the trust in the Lord and love means the love of the neighbor because God doesn't need your love. You understand it. Now, the same thing applies to that root of Ga'a or Ga'on, where again, and I said it even in my books, when you are linking it 
or the text is linking it to God, then it is a positive thing, is glory, majesty, greatness. But when it is linked to the human being and the mountains and the temples and the waves, then it means arrogance. And you have it like this in the translations very often, not all the time. So, when you apply the same word, let's go for the English, glory, if you keep in mind that Hebrew root, then it's not something positive. It is something negative. So remember, when you go and attend galas to honor great human beings and you hear terms of glory, that is not good news according to the Bible. That is not good news according to the Bible. Why? Because of the reason I just gave you. Words function in a certain way. They don't have meaning as we assume. Then in verse 2, I would like to point out that important phrase. And I will praise him, my father's God, the God of the fathers that you hear or you have heard time and again in the book of Genesis. That is very important. And I use it to remind all of us, do not imagine that if you wake up at three o'clock and suddenly you start to converse with God. No, God has conversed with your forebears. So you have to go back and hear what they wrote so that you can hear God. You cannot hear a God that spoke already. That's just a figment of your mystic imagination and that is the downfall of all theologies. But this is what we like to do. I mean, what can I say? Moving ahead in verse 8, we have this nice, at the blast of thy nostrils, the waters piled up. Let me go again and revisit this matter. We're talking about not your nostrils. It's the nostrils of God. And thus, you cannot find the nostrils of God in the anatomy lab. You find it only in scripture. And God controls the blast or the blow of his nostrils. He can go into making it Soft, remember that story when he plastered Adam from the Adama. He blew softly in the nostrils of the human being. Because if he would have blown the way he's doing it in this verse 8 of chapter 15, the human being would have been shattered into dust which happens elsewhere. But at that point, to give life, you have a soft, and I commented on that, it is called the breeze of life, which is different than breath, breeze of life. But here it is 
what the text referred to as Ruah, the mighty wind. Okay? And as we shall see, even this can work differently. It can have a different function. He blew the wind to bring more water to engulf the Egyptians. Later, when he's going to blow again that mighty wind, it is to bring dry air from the east in order to make the earth appear. In other words, he takes aside the waters and let Israel go through. Okay, so watch out with all this. So when you pray for the Spirit of God, which I usually do not recommend to the people, why? Because Paul established that we are all sinners. That's not good news if you meet the wind and the Spirit of God when you have not obeyed his commandments. But all this disappears in theology. We like to just play games and feel good about ourselves. This is something scripture does not allow. You know my rule. If you're reading a passage in scripture and you feel good, not only most probably, but for sure you misunderstood the text. You have always to watch out for the trap. And then you have these texts. It's very nice. You can read it on your own. Who is like thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, in verse 11, majestic in holiness, terrible in glorious deeds? You know, that word terrible I like very much. It's from the old English, which goes back to Latin, which means that he is dreadful. And I remember one of my older boys asked me, Oh, so God is awesome. Why? Because uh, the modern uh, North Americans, Orthodox, you know, said terrible and dreadful doesn't really sound nice. So one of the translators made it into awesome. And that person thought that he brought the solution. But the smart teenager who has his own vocabulary and also means something specific for him, he told me, oh, so God is awesome. And since I was in the altar, I couldn't answer him. I answered him in the hall when we were drinking our coffee and he was drinking his juice. Verse 13. You have a very important word. I commented on it previously, which is from the root Ga'al. You have redeemed and you hear it very often in the second part of Isaiah when God redeems and thus he you know the word redeem is from Latin which is re-emu emu is to buy redemo means to buy again in Greek we have an interesting rendition of that you hear it quite a few times in Paul's letters. 
exagorazo. Agorazo is to buy. Exagorazo, to buy again. It's like you had a slave and then something happens to you, you needed money, you sell, that slave goes into the market and then a few days later you get your money and you like that slave and you redeem that slave. So redeem essentially doesn't have a so-called, which I can't stand, theological meaning. It has a meaning and it functions in a certain way. And that's what God does when he punishes his own people and then he goes back and redeems them. And at the end, you have the expression, thy holy abode. But in the original, which is completely non-existent in RSV, because the original word is not abode. It is the pasture of your holiness. So technically the English should have been the abode of your holiness. But it is the pastoral abode, which is naweh. It's a word that is found in Ezekiel in conjunction with that other word, mirae, which is from the root ra. Now, if you, my hearer, do not know all these things, you're not listening to scripture. One more time. Thou hast guided them by thy strength to thy holy pasture, the pasture of your holiness. What's your conclusion? All together, let's say it together. It's exactly what you've been telling us, Father Paul, that the scripture of God is essentially a shepherd. The shepherd, that's why he reminds you that he doesn't need your buildings. Shepherds with their flocks live in an open land, which is the Midbar, where they hear the call or bar. The call is the voice and the Dabar is the word of their shepherd. And they just follow that shepherd from oasis to oasis because only he knows where the oases are. That's why we, the living sheep of the Most High, are no sheep because we ask questions and we debate. Sheep do not do that. They just follow. That's why in a few chapters, God starts speaking and everybody doesn't say anything. When they start acting is to disobey the will of God and he will strike some of them. Okay, and then you have trembling before God and so on. And then in verse 18, the Lord will reign forever and ever. But here again, rain for you 
It's like Elizabeth II followed by Charles I. No, because these two people are not shepherds. That's why the author threw you pasture in verse 13. So when you get to verse 18, you connect it with Psalm 80, where you hear of God seated on the throne of the cherubim as shepherd. And I discussed this in detail in my last two books because they are at the center of the matter. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.